Hello and welcome to the Iowa Basketball Coaches Association podcast. I'm your host, Derek Dangler. Before we start, I just want to encourage those of you who coach in the state of Iowa to join the IBCA this season. As a member, in addition to a $2 million insurance policy for your staff, you'll also get access to our Coaches Corner and Lucio Whiteboard. Your team will become eligible for either all region or all state awards and much more. If you're interested, go to our website's link, which should be included in the description below if you have any questions or need more information. All right, let's get to the show. Coaches, happy to have Aaron Thomas joining us today, uh, head coach at Appleton Parkersburg High School on the boys' side. Coach, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on and uh, excited just to have basketball conversation. Absolutely. So, like to get everybody warmed up with some easier questions, I guess, easier softball, whatever. So, first question is, what's your favorite team you've rooted for of all time? It can't be a team that you played on or have coached. Who? Favorite Nikki, team? Give me, give me the reason why you, you, you just, that team sticks out in your memory as well. Yeah, these don't seem so easy. You know, <laughs> growing, growing up as a real young kid, I can uh, vividly remember, um, my dad was a big Hawkeye fan, so we watched every Iowa basketball game. And I can vividly remember being at my grandpa Thomas's uh, when they were up 18 and got beat by UNLV at half. And I can vividly remember crying um, as probably a 10 or 11-year-old, something like that. So, I, you know, back in the day, it was awesome because it was every Saturday, Wednesday, the Hawks were on yep. KDAN, uh, Channel 2, Mac McCaws and Larry Morgan. And, and for my childhood, up till they signed Dean Oliver, I was a Iowa basketball fan. Then I knew I wasn't going to Iowa, so then I switched <laughs> allegiance and got all in on Cyclone basketball. And soon realized I wasn't going there either. And uh, uh, you know, but I always loved uh, you know those Iowa teams when I was young. Um, Darren DeFreeze was a guy from Appley to Parkersburg, grew up kind of idolizing, so followed you and I very closely. Yeah. Um, Cam Johnson, Randy Blocker as a high schooler. Um, and then obviously once I committed to Drake and, and now follow Drake with Darren back there, extremely close. But my first thoughts were, were those early Roy Marble, BJ Armstrong at Horton, Iowa teams. Yeah, I don't, that's not the first time I've heard that. And I don't think it's going to be the last time. I think that team has a lasting impact here in the state. Without a doubt. Without All right. Doubt. Next question is um, how has basketball changed since your days as a player? And then what do you kind of miss about those older days? And then what, what do you like about maybe some of the changes as well? Yeah, you know, the biggest thing is everybody was two posts when I played, yep. you know, and I don't feel like I played that long ago, but the amount of three-pointers that were shot, and we shot a lot at Applington Parkersburg. I think Coach Dorn was ahead of his time. Um, we shot a lot of threes, but we still played with two posts, and, you know, you had the two traditional big post bodies, and and um, so that was one thing I think that's really, you know, there was no such thing as a stretch four by any <laughs> any stretch of the imagination. Um, that, I, I think um, – just the way even, you know, defense is, is taught, you know, then there was some pressing and, and it was, you know, we think it's called tight now, but I think looking back, it was even tighter then, you know, with the hand checks and those things. Um, so I think defensively we were able to do some more things now. Um, you know, I'm a, a lover of basketball. I like the evolution of it. There's not much, you know, I'm still hoping a shot clock comes soon, you know, yep, so I'm absolutely. all about that kind of that future where, you know, there's not much. Now, with that said, I got two big kids, so I wish everybody kind of played with two bigs and, and, and spacing wasn't as big a deal, maybe. But, you know, so for me, I'm all for the progression of basketball. I, I like where it's at. You know, I, I can remember in college, we got just screamed at if we set a ball screen. Um, and, and now, 
almost all offense is ball screen. Um, so that's, you know, that was late nineties to early two thousands, you know, started to see that change. But from my playing days in, you know, the, the mid, um, mid nineties, uh, the two post deal and everybody played with two post and everybody more packed it in the three, not near as many three point shots as now, but I like where the, our game is at. I, I think what we're doing with high school basketball uh, has been a great thing. And like I said, I'm real hopeful that shot clock is going to make its way to us. Yeah. I, I, uh, the two post thing, you know, and spreading the stuff out, it's usually how people like to answer that question, but I, I found it interesting too. You kind of talk about the change in the officiating. Maybe it's yeah. a, there's some stuff you can get away with more and different. I, I know when I've watched over quarantine, you watch some of those old NBA games. I'm like, man, they talk about that toughness. I was like, I don't know if those guys are even touching each other sometimes. Right. Right. Yeah. I just, it just different, you know, without a doubt, just a, a different thing. But like I think, I think our game has, has progressed. I think through um, great leaders, great coaches at, at all levels, you know, you think of like Don Logan with the IBCA who has been a part of that thing since 19, I think 79 um, and all the changes that, that the, even Iowa high school basketball that we've been able to make, I think something to be proud of. Um, I, I think we're always looking forward, maybe not as, as forward or as in a bigger hurry as sometimes guys like me who get impatient would like to be, but I'm grateful for all the coaches and the changes and just how the game progresses. Absolutely. So coach, one of the things I like to do part of the podcast, I think my goal is just for people to get to know people around the state. Um, and so I'd maybe ask you just to talk a little bit about your journey, how you became you know, back to AP being the head boys basketball coach. Yeah, you know, for me at a, at a young age, uh, grew up in the house with a football coach and my, and my dad lived and breathed uh, football, had a great football program at Applington Parkersburg. And um, so I always knew I loved coaching, but as I got, you know, basketball was kind of always my love. I loved whatever was in season, um, but at a young age, uh, kind of saw as maybe a little more talented uh, in basketball, thought I might have a little more opportunity. And so then to go to Drake University uh, to play college basketball. And I had great high school coaches, uh, Bill Dorn, um, who passed away my junior year of leukemia, um, was a, a big impact, uh, had an effect on me with pressing. He pressed all the time, played a 3-2 zone. Um, some of those things that stuck offensively, some of the stuff I don't use a lot of that, but just his, his easy come attitude was so different. He and my dad could not have been any different um, personality wise. My dad was so rigid and everything was on a schedule. Coach Dorn show up with a note card uh, for practice and he knew and nobody else. And then uh, he passed away and Speed Lindbergh was a longtime assistant um, and kind of the first guy who believed in me um, as a player. I'll never forget eighth grade year going over to UNI team camp. He was like, you know, Aaron, be by the varsity, be ready. I think you're going to get a shot. And I didn't dress the first game of varsity, but by the second game I was dressing it and played varsity the rest of the time. And and Speed was a guy that, that taught me a lot on, on the importance of practice, practicing hard on the basketball standpoint. I got that from my dad, football. Um, and then progressing to college, you know, Kirk Kanaski was my coach at Drake and an unbelievable X's and O's um, coach and learned a lot basketball terminology and, and philosophy from him. Um, a lot of great drills and things. And he was hard. He was tough uh, on us as players and, and so you, you take some of those things and you learn. And then I spent one year at St. Cloud State. I knew I wanted to coach basketball. I thought I wanted to coach college. So I went to St. Cloud as a graduate assistant, worked under Kevin Schlegel and Matt Reimer. Matt Reimer is a current head coach there. And those guys were so great with how they treated their players, not near as much X's and O's wise, um, but it was great to see. But as a 22-year-old, uh, I thought I knew everything. I wanted to be a head coach. 
um, my wife and we were married, uh, you know, one year out of college and wanted to get back closer to family. And then Union High School had a, a job opening. And so applied for the union job and was, was able to get that. And, um, you know, looking back, realized I probably got that job because they were, I think they'd won two games a year before, three the year prior, and not a whole lot of people wanted that job. But being a young coach, I was just excited to get, to get going, um, to go to Union and, and their uh, great community. I had uh, some young men came in with a good group uh, of kids who bought into what we were doing. And, um, you know, we were able to go to the state tournament by year six, uh, went to substate year seven. Then unfortunately, my, my dad was tragically killed um, and, and was offered the chance to come back to AP to take my dad's job. And again, this is a year after the tornado, our high school here wasn't even rebuilt yet. Um, with my mom here and just always my, my thoughts towards Applington Parkersburg, not even knowing at the time head basketball wasn't open, yep. um, but was willing um, to just kind of come back uh, to home. You know, my wife being from here um, with my dad's legacy, that was important, came back and then the, the boys coaching job open. And, you know, I swore after we kind of got union going, I was never going to do a rebuild. Um, but unfortunately, we went right back into rebuild mode. It was almost identical to the situation we had taken over at Union when I went there and coming off some tough luck. But again, the guys bought in, they, they gave a great effort. We weren't great basketball players early at both schools in the rebuilding process. Um, and it was crazy for both schools. It was the, the sixth year we were able to make the state tournament. And so kind of the blueprint I used at Union, same blueprint I was able to use when I came back to AP. And now here the last uh, seven, eight years, we, we've been fortunate to be extremely successful. Um, you know, we got great youth coaches, um, to our junior high, which translates makes, as you know, makes the job easy for the varsity coach when you, when you get all those levels, but it has to start at the top. So, you know, for me, it was just that journey. My love for basketball is kind of what set it forward. And what a lot of people don't know, my dad absolutely loved basketball. He went to William Penn. He was going to play football and basketball um, for him. Uh, got in a construction accident, road construction after his freshman year and kind of stayed on as a student football coach. And that's probably why he went that route where for me, just maybe a little more success and, and, and opportunity in basketball and a chance to kind of carve my own path led me down this road. But the impact of coaching, um, I credit my dad and, and just his passion for it. The, he always wanted to see growth of young men, young people and, and seeing that at a young age that had a huge impact. And I think that's why I do what I do today. Absolutely. Well, thanks for sharing, Coach. I, I think your journey, you know, I think it's pretty well known, but it's always awesome to hear and some of the, um, you know, great names in there. And mm -hmm. then obviously your dad, you know, has a great legacy, you know, certainly from the football side, but I think just for everybody as coaches here in the state of Iowa. And I know you guys have kind of built um, your leadership academy. And that was one of the things I wanted to ask you about of maybe just describe for people who don't know kind of what you guys have done uh, with that. Yeah, you know, it started after my dad's passing, Casey Wigman, who was our first uh, pro football player from AP. Uh, he and John Jordan, who played for my dad, a very prominent businessman in, in Texas, they were waiting at my dad's visitation, waited like four hours, a huge line. And uh, when they got to us, they just said to my mom, brother and I, hey, you know, we, we want to talk about continuing Coach's legacy. And so we started the Ed Thomas Family Foundation. And as we got going, we were trying to find our niche and we tried to run some coaching clinics and it was just tough that everything's so busy and, and when you could get coaches and we didn't want it to be sports specific. And we did that for about two, maybe three years. And then we came up with the idea to start these leadership academies because we knew one, we were going to get the coaches, we're going to bring their young people. But my dad was so passionate about young people that we could find a way to influence the difference makers in our school. 
And so then we started these leadership academies for students and it's just taken off. Uh, you know, we run two a year. We run one in the fall here in late September, early October in this year. Um, you know, with COVID, it's going to be virtual for the first time. So it's going to be open to everybody. It's going to be free of charge. Um, and we got a great lineup of speakers and, and that's on leadership. It's not just sports. And we, we try to challenge schools to get their leaders and, and not the kids who are all established, but who are those kids in your school who are right on the cusp of, of maybe becoming that strong leader? They just need encouragement. Because I think our young people today uh, in their social media world, are, are they almost need permission to step out of their box and become that leader. Um, and, and so for us uh, to start those, and we, we have the guest speakers and we try to not just talk at the kids, but you know, as leaders, as coaches, we're always looking for things. How can we make our kids better people? Um, it's not just about the basketball. It's not just about the football, the X's and O's, and or even the FFA advisor. It's not just about you know, those kids, but for us, it's about how do we develop those young men, those young women, uh, that are our next leaders in our community, that are our current leaders in our school. And so, you know, the format we, we have, um, we'll have four speakers, and I believe the date is, it's October 2nd, I believe, something along those lines of when this is going to be, but they're all backloaded. So you can go on YouTube, you can watch our past leadership academies, um, and we've been fortunate to have great speakers. I always speak, and in, in Coach Al Kearns, who coached my dad since 1978, always speak, and then we rotate the speakers. And this year, Lindsay Finley is going to come on, um, you know, All-American at Iowa State. And, and she had a journey with her mental health, and she kept it quiet, except now the last two years she's talked about that. And, and she's going to be our first speaker. And then Larry Blunt, who's an assistant at Drake University, uh, men's basketball. And Larry's a, a, one of the most caring men that, that I've seen and, and watched him to – work with, with the young men at Drake, but you know, his thoughts and his leadership on, on some of the um, equality and equity things that are, that are going on in our world and just Larry's perspective. And um, so I'm anxious for him to share, you know, with Appleton Parkersburg, we're a predominantly white school and community. And I cannot wait for Larry to impact our young people. Um, so with the Leadership Academy, it stems back from trying to continue my dad's legacy and not the football, standpoint, but just his investment in young people. And that's why we've been able to do that through the Ed Thomas Leadership Academies. That's awesome. And I, I know you guys always get great speakers, but maybe what are some of the other things you guys do with uh, kids at the, at the academy? Yeah, you know, so, so everybody gets their notebook. Uh, they, they get the Ed Thomas Leadership thing and, and to see the, the notes that the kids take. But it's also a chance with, you know, we only allow uh, in the past when it's in person, 12 students per school. Yep. and then an advisor. So I think the biggest thing we've got for feedback is just that conversation. Half the time it's on the van ride back home, yep. you know, where, you know, what did you take away? How are we going to make our school better? How am I going to impact my teammates? How am I going to be a leader to the freshmen? Um, what am I going to stand for when I leave, you know, Montezuma, when I leave Applington Parkersburg? So just trying to get kids to understand who they are, what they want to stand for, but how can they make their community, their school better? Um, because honestly, that's why we're all in this profession. You know, whether we coach, it's not about us. We don't get paid enough for that. It's, it's about the impact and our love for basketball. And I think our same thing carries over with the Ed Thomas Leadership Academy, just on making better people, better young people that are going to go and influence their community. Um, and our feedback's been out, outstanding. You know, the one in Parkersburg, we cap it at 500 and, and last year it sold out in 23 minutes. Um, and in Des Moines, um, down there, we have about 450. And again, that's sold out in under half an hour. So we know it's a great thing. We try to make it um, um, very affordable. 
Um, when it's in person, we got to stay away from that gift loss. We only charge $10. Um, so that way nobody's a, you know, a professional with, with what we're handing out. And we can do that through great sponsorship uh, shields at West Des Moines. Jordan Creek Mall has, has been great partners. And then just some of our donors through our golf tournaments uh, enable us to do that. Oh, that's awesome. Um, is there anything, you know, like anything in particular for people who, I don't want to say get involved, but just are really passionate about that leadership side thing that you've seen from the academy that you would emphasize like, hey, this is something that we've just seen has really impacted kids. Yeah, you know, I, I think the thing, the question we get the most is, you know, what do I do now? We come to the one day event and, and I'd encourage everybody to sign up. We have a newsletter and I think it's every two weeks, Al Kearns writes something and has a piece um, that he puts out. So there's follow-up questions. There's things to talk about your kids about, but, you know, I, I think um, the exciting piece is to hear and see kids when they're exposed to the ideas and they're challenged with how do we make our school better to hear the end results and what happens. But I will say it takes an adult leader yeah. um, to give the kids permission, to sign them up, to get them involved, and then to carry out that. So it's not a one-time, one day we're on fire, we're fired up, and then it dies. Um, so if you can get that, that adult who's just as passionate as your young people, I firmly believe and have heard and seen culture changes either on teams or in schools or in communities. So hope, you know, people will jump on board, take a look at that because our, our kids need it now more than ever, uh, just coming off COVID and not being at school, not being able to interact, you know, not having that normalcy. Um, what can we do? What can we expose them to, to get them excited, get them making that difference? Absolutely. Well, thanks for sharing on that, Coach. Um, I don't know if you have anything else to speak to. I'll give you the opportunity before I switch topics to maybe some more basketball-specific things. Yeah, you know, let's, let's jump back into hoops. All right, that sounds good. Uh, so the other topic I was encouraged to ask you about uh, was your defense, in particular, some, some of the things you do from a pressure defense standpoint. So I'm just going to leave it open for you first. Uh, what are some of the things you do? What is some of your philosophy when you're building the defense? Yeah, and it's tough because, you know, talking back to my, my roots, um, you know, at Drake, Coach Canassi, we always sprinted two guys back, and, and it was never give up a layup. And I, I struggle, um, you know, I, to, to press and, and, and to pressure if we're giving up layups. Yep. Um, but it's risk and reward and, and, you know, being a little bit of a numbers guy, you, you keep an eye on those things. And, and are we getting more turnovers to give up a layup here or there? But, you know, with us, um, like I said, that came back from, from Coach Dorn and, and – playing high school basketball, uh, the reason we went to it um, a little bit more, because I was a man-to-man -man guy almost all through Union. We didn't press. It was rare. Um, one, just the way our teams were built, we didn't have, we weren't maybe as, as athletic. Um, we didn't have as much depth. Uh, so we were really solid in the half court. And I think I was still really in my Drake, you know, under Coach Kanansky's philosophy. Mm -hmm. Then when I came back to Applington Parkersburg and had Speed Lindbergh, who was my assistant, start working with me. And then Jason Berkey came over. Um, for, who was at Ackley and, and called a lot of their defense, you know, and with the group we had, we started talking about creating turnovers and speeding teams up. And the more we started to do that, the more I realized it's hard for high school players to just make basketball plays. You know, oftentimes every, you, your point guard is going to be your best player. So if you can get the ball out of the point guard's hands uh, and make other guys handle the ball. So what does that look like? And for us, you know, it was a traditional um, one, two, two, you know, we'd extend full court or to a one, two, one, one, to a three quarter court, to even what we, what we switched to was even a half court. So we'd put the guy basically right on the half court circle and have him push a guy to a side and just trap in the half court. Now we did that, we had a six, seven point guard, Alec Oberhauser. 
um, yep. when we started this, who was long and rangy uh, and got his hands on a lot of things and, and could cut off half a court. And so we went to it. Um, I am trying to remember back what year we went to state. I think it's been six, eight years ago um, with him. And we came off a season. Uh, actually, I take that back. It was before that it was with Ross Cooper was a guy we played on, on top of that. But same thing. He was 6'4", very rangy, very athletic. We had big Nick Ellis, who's um, playing college football now at, at uh, UNI. So we weren't as much a man team, um, but he could anchor down in that middle, kind of corral everything. And our whole philosophy was, you know, when I'd meet with other coaches and ask, you know, what are your rules? And, and it's kind of crazy when we made it, we didn't have rules. Because when you play good teams, good coaches, if I'm playing you and I have a rule where we do the exact same thing every time, you're going to know exactly what to do to break it. And so, you know, we would talk to our guys. We'd have different kind of calls, different symbols on if we were going to attack right across half court. Was it going to be more of a run and jump? Was it going to be more the first pass? Were we going to trap more just the corners this time? Uh, or were we going to trap everywhere? And so for us, kind of our philosophy, our general rules were our top guy had to get the ball to a side if we're in the one, two, two or the one, two, one, one. Our second line guys, um, you were either middle or sideline. And that's your two rules. You're either cutting off that middle, cutting off sideline. Now, a call would we, we would bring, so if you had a two guard front, which most would against the, we would bring him up and almost make it a two, 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 one press mm -hmm. or two, one, two press. And so sometimes we would match that and then we'd look for opportunities to trap uh, and we'd talk about high trapping points. But, and so it started that one, two, two, but what we learned is we quick went to almost a two, three press. Yeah. Um, that way we could drop right back in. So it was different. And, and those two guards, sometimes we'd face guard deny, sometimes we'd force sidelines, sometimes we'd force middle. So it was almost that run and jump concept, but we wanted to rarely be the same. And so our change up and our pressure would be, would we go two, three press or would it be a one, two, two press? And, um, you know, off free throw, sometimes we go to the one, two, one, one traditional ball pressure, but honestly, we don't get on the ball as much. And what I've found is the better the point guard, the shorter the area we press. Yep. So if I'm playing you um, with, with, with Trey, yep. um, I, I'm not picking him up full court, giving him 84 feet to carve us up. Our traps for there, it, it might be right at half court. Yep. So the better the point guard, the smaller area we're pressing. One, I think if we can get the ball out of that best player's hands, it's also easier to deny it back to him. Yep. Now we got other guys trying to make plays. But if I'm pressing a good point guard 84 feet, we're going to be in trouble. I think there's too much space to cover. Yep. It's too long. So that's one thing we look at. Now, if I think we can get into your point guard, if you got a young point guard, and we've had teams like that, then we might pick up further to extend that because that's that many more passes we're making them make before they can even get in their offense. So that's a little bit of the, the, the philosophy, you know, rule wise, like I said, if it's the one, two, one, one, we're big on taking away ball side, trying to give up the only things available that long skip diagonal pass mm -hmm. and, and a key to pressing um, you got to have ball pressure. Because yep. if our ball pressure is any good, somebody shouldn't be able to throw that. Or if they do it, hopefully it's that lollipop where our guy's back line's got a sprint and we get a hand. Because you are susceptible to giving up some corner threes. Yep. Um, and again, that's that risk reward. You get against really good team state tournament. Maybe you don't press quite as much because you got to be solid. And uh, But I do think it's a great change of pace. I, our kids love playing that way. For me, it's been an opportunity to play eight or nine guys, um, which I think is important for buy-in and just for program development. Um, you know, if you don't get too big a, a drop off or if you get some good teams where maybe you get ahead 15, 20 points, now all of a sudden you can squeeze in eight, nine, 10 
where maybe if we're playing in that half court, our lead doesn't get to there. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the why or, or how we got to that point as a team. And like I said, the two, three full court was something that, that came um, not in our first run to the state tournament when I was at Applington Parkersburg, but came later, like I said, when we had Alec Oberhauser and a couple other guys, Carter Cavalier. So coach, just to clarify, in the full court, you're multiple different fronts, right? One, two, yep. one, 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 two, two, et cetera. In the half court, is it pretty consistently coming back into a two, three type of look that you would describe, or is that a little bit flexible as well? For me, the two, three, if we're in a two, three, we're still trapping. I can't stand in just the traditional two, yeah. three. You know, uh, so much respect for, and we scrimmage Cascade, and they do an unbelievable job of being big, and they're still active, and it's on me coaching. I don't do a good job coaching the two, three. Um, we get a little stagnant. So um, we have played a bit in that we become more active and even look to trap kind of some wing stuff there. Um, if we're in that two, three, you know, for, for me, um, if we're going to be aggressive, a lot of times we're the three, two. Um, and even from when I was at Union, I, I do like to play the matchup zone. So it's almost like a switching man. Yeah. And so if we press, we do usually 95% of the time we're dropping uh, to some form of zone. Yeah. Um, you know, not to say we won't pick you up full court man, but uh, our teams have been, you know, last year was a little different. We were a better man team, but primarily we have been more zone. And, you know, the other thing I found is in high school, people might have 10, 12 man-to-man -man plays. Uh, usually you only got to guard about two to three things uh, in a zone. So, so that's one other thing. I think it simplifies. I think our kids know what's coming as a coaching staff. I think we knew what was coming when we were in a zone. Absolutely. Um, so you talk about there's not a ton of rules, although you did allude to maybe, you know, we're trying to push you to one side most of the time, et cetera. Right. Are there any other, maybe not rules, but general concepts you're giving the players to play on? And then, I don't know, this is maybe too specific. Don't answer this. You don't want to. But like the calls, you talked about calls. Is it concepts and calls or uh, are those a little bit more separated? That's maybe a poor question. No, I'll throw no, away I, concepts first. Yep. I know. You know, for me, concept, the biggest thing to me, if you're pressing, uh, is you got to have ball pressure. And, and I had to learn that because if you let somebody just sit back there and probe and, and now defensively you're spaced out, um, you, to me, we, you got to pressure the ball, um, whether you're getting ready to force it to a double team yep. or whether, um, it, you're just bringing that guy up man to man. If you're going to press and extend yourself, you might as well, you, you got to have pressure where they can't just pick the ball up, put it on top of their head and probe and make long passes. I think I'll clear. So you, you, when you say ball pressure, I, maybe this is a silly question, but it's not always a trap, right? Nope. It, it's, it's, we're just making sure you're, we're trying to direct you somewhere all the time. Yeah. And, and I think the biggest piece is if I can get you to pick up your dribble yep. to make that pass, then I really got to get into you. And really crowd. I can't be five feet off and kind of have my hands up. That doesn't work. But to me, you got to have ball pressure. We need to, if we're going to press, we need to dictate somewhat where they're going. Otherwise, if, if the offense is dictating it, we're already going to get ourselves at a disadvantage. Because yeah. in pressing, if you don't play harder and gain the advantage, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. Um, and so that to me, that's concept step one. Um, I think the second thing that we harp on is not giving up sideline or getting split. You know, it, it, when and if we do trap, it's got to be solid because now all of a sudden we're down two players. And again, the way kids shoot it, you're either going to give up a wide open three or a wide open layup. Um, so those are the truly the two big key. And then probably the big concept, and I got this from Drake, is when the ball's in the air, everybody has to sprint. Mm -hmm. And it can't be reacting after the ball. As soon as that thing's in the air, everybody has to get going. So at the beginning of the year, we'll, we'll just, uh, whether it's drilling or whatever, 
um, kind of in our traditional sp shell spots like everybody does. But as soon as that ball is in there, everybody has to sprint to their next spot. And that just has to be such an emphasis. Um, those are the, the key things, in my opinion, of being a good pressing team that you got to make sure you do. You got to pressure the basketball. Um, if, when, when and if you do trap, it can't get split. They can't give up baseline. And then when the ball's in the air, everybody has to sprint. And it can't be a jog. It can't be I might get there, but an absolute sprint. So we're in position when whomever catches it. Absolutely. So then what are some of the change-ups then that you do? I know you talked to that, but what are some of maybe those calls that um, force other teams into making adjustments? Right. And, and like I said, so sometimes, like I said, either the one-two-two two press uh, or three-two, which we usually call it. And then, like I said, if we go X full, we're all the way on the ball, three-quarter court or half. But for us, the, the real change that became that 2-3 press. Yeah. Um, and, and with the 2-3, um, it kind of dictates to what you do. Um, so if, if you end up with a 1-2, then it's going to be more of that jump and run look. If it's just the 2 and we think we can get you to the middle, um, we're going to come, come hard there. You know, if I was playing you, when, when Trey gives the ball up, all of a sudden now I got a guy there. He's denying. We're going to push up the sideline, your second guy, and then we're going to run the back line okay. a wing to you. Um, so those are just different looks. Now, if Trey doesn't have, you know, the top point guard doesn't have it, then one, we're going to deny him, make somebody else get it, be, run and jump at him, where that's a different look. We're not going to come run and jump at Trey Shear, our really good point guard. We're just not going to do it. Some of that we go through in practice and, and our guys know that prior to, but mixing up our presses, I think not giving a steady diet. If all of a sudden you break it two, three times in a row, we got to make a change, get them back uncomfortable. Because um, if they're comfortable, they're going to get those open threes. They're going to get the open layups. How do you answer your question? Or not. Yeah, no, that's good. That's, that's, that's exactly what I'm looking for. How are you teaching, like, okay, when are we doing this versus when are we not? Now, I can understand a scout-specific thing. Hey, yep. we're playing this team. We're doing this with this player. But maybe just in general for guys to be flexible and be able to recognize those things. And that comes off practice. You know, we, we, uh, I'm a huge believer. I can't stand when kids sit. We oftentimes try to have three teams. Um, we can have our, our top varsity group, which will be five or six, depending on our numbers. Um, then we get our top JV group together. And then we have some guys who kind of fluctuates. And so with our groups, we're jumping in, working different presses. So maybe it's one free throw into a press or we go set offense, make or miss, we're jumping in in the presses. So we'll work different ones. And I have different coaches that then take or I'm talking to each group, you know, this group, hey, I want you this time you're going, you know, two press full this time here. So we're mixing up in practice all the time. So our guys are used to, it's not always the same. Um, and so we can look at different things, but to me, repping it in practice, uh, a lot of different ways. And then obviously, like you said, when we get into game week, you know, depending on who we're playing, then we'll talk about, Hey, here's what we're probably going to do more of. Here's, we still want to throw this in there. Or if so-and-so subs, now we're going to mix. So we work on, on, on the one, two, two, or the three, two, you know, different levels throughout practice all the time. And then also to press. We do that every day. We have a pressing segment yep. um, built into our, our, our practice. And so our guys just get used to playing with one another, feeling kind of where's a good spot to trap, where's a good place to jump and also working, you know, okay, here's what we got to get better at. Um, I'm assuming you're highlighting certain areas where you want to trap, or is it going to be a little bit more flexibility based on maybe what the offensive player does? Uh, you know, obviously corners. Yeah. Are, are our best spots but it's not to say we always do that I, I think in our two press you know even on the wing um in the half court set so if we're in kind of a zone look you know I oftentimes if we're in that two three 
um, you, you know, you get the one, three, one look offensively. And if the ball goes to the wing, we're not afraid to trap that wing with, with the top guard and, and with the bottom guy and, and get a hard trap because spacing, a lot of times if you have a short corner, that spacing's close. And now the other guy, if we can reverse, take away the top guy so they can't there. Now, again, ball pressure should create that skip, should become a tough pass. Yep. And so it becomes a scramble mode. Um, and again, something we break down and work on in practice, we'll go seven offense versus five defense. So you're never matched up, but we got to protect, you know, the basket at all times, um, work on giving up that skip. And when the ball's in the air, everybody's got to be flying. Absolutely. So, you know, for, for us, it's not always a corner. Um, sometimes we will trap in the, on that wing um, because I, I think spacing in, in you think about teams offenses and that traditional one, three, one offensive look, there's not a ton of space in there. And so you can't actually cover in, in teams you don't prepare as much about trap like right there. Or we also like right across half court because yep. then you got that back line. Even if it's somewhat the middle, we like to get it to a side. But again, now you're creating long passes, in my opinion. Um, it's not as far to scramble if they do break it. You know, if they break it to the middle, you better get moving. Um, but we try to take away that middle again, give that skip pass, then everybody sprint when the ball's in the air. Um. Practice in the press, I'm assuming most of the time it's five on five, but is there anything else you're trying to do to break it down and really show some specifics uh, to kids? Or is it pretty much, hey, this is a team concept. We, we're almost always in, you know, five guys out here reacting to each yeah, other. Yeah, we, we will work just a little bit on our traps. And that's an offensive defensive drill if we're getting pressed. So, you know, it, it's an offensive defense. We'll, we'll have the three defenders, two offensive guys with the inbounder um, and, and just – really work on, on our traps where we don't get split, but yet offensively we're working press break if we do get trapped. So we will break it down a little bit that way um, just to work that. And then with our backline guys, we work on, it, it's still kind of a full team concept, but making sure we're getting if the ball side sideline, so they can't throw it up the sideline on us and the other guy to the middle, whether that's middle of the court, whether that's hoop protecting the basket, but, but we will um, work those things. And sometimes we break up, especially early when we're teaching it, the guards kind of on, on one end working on those traps, our backline guys, the coaches working on them is sprinting as the ball moves. Absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. Um, does, we talked about how it might change with a player, you're an opponent. Does your philosophy change at all with what type of guys you have on your team for that? Yes. year? So obviously you've mentioned several times, every, all of us want length, right? Yep. That's going to help. But um, does it adjust if maybe you're not as tall one year? Does it adjust maybe if you're a little bit bigger, but maybe not as quick? What, what kind yeah. of adjustments are you making that way? Exactly. And we didn't press as much last year. Our, our team, it didn't fit us as well. We, we, we had some length, but we had two true post players. Um, in, in, you know, we weren't maybe as long always on the wing. We had some shorter guards that we bring off the bench. And so that looked different. That was more of a run and jump and just helter skelter when we'd sub and bring in our five, eight guys. Um, that, that were quick, you know, they're not going to get their hands up and deflect as many. Um, we did have a lineup where we could still run some of our traditional stuff, but we weren't quite as quick and as, as athletic. So what we did was a little bit different um, last year. And it is a year by year, um, you know, team by team uh, on what we can do. And, and, you know, I became a believer with, with basketball. You know, I have my, my concepts and the things we're always going to teach, but as far as what we run offensively, I, you know, we're not always going to run the flex or, yeah. or, you know, it's not a system that uh, to me, you know, my philosophy is we're going to adjust to our players and our concepts, you know, our passing, dribbling, shooting. I think those things are always important. Our footwork, that's always going to be the staple. Now what we do is their sets or whatnot. You know, I'm a big four out one in believer on offense, but when you got two posts, you better adjust because I don't need my six, six guys 
playing strictly on the perimeter. So you got to make some adjustments and then maybe it's some more quick hitters or, or, or different sets or, you know, different things. So it's not always the same. I, I'm not a guy who, you know, I want to play to our kids' strength and, and our team's strength. It's not necessarily they always have to conform to me because some of them just physically it's not going to put us in the best position to win. Yep. Um, you've mentioned some of these already from a defensive standpoint of like the fundamentals you're talking about, making sure you're sprinting on the pass. What are the other things you're emphasizing, whether it's in practice or games the whole year, like this is all the time. Yeah. The, the big thing I, I think our positioning of our hand, you know, if, if you have your dribble yet, you know, we're a one hand trace. Um, when you're dribbling, I don't get worried about, you know, hands up fine. But as soon as you pick that thing up, it's, it's gotta be two hands and we're crowding you. Um, those I, I think are big. We're, I'm a big in um, when we run shell, a big believer in gap and under or gap and through. You know, we if we're playing a really good shooter, we'll be in their footsteps. Um, but but for us, just we do shell drill every single day, um, and and I want to make sure our guys are 100% crystal clear on how we're defending. Whether it's a down screen, you know, we we limit to how we guard the ball screens. We'll press and go under, or we'll trap. That's pretty much our two things. Or if it's a guard to guard, we'll switch. You know, we don't have, you know, I've never been able to teach icing. I think it's really good. Uh, I'm a bad teacher of it. I got to figure out how to teach it better. Um, so for me, whatever, and I think for coaches, whatever you're going to do, it's just got to be crystal clear. And I think sometimes what's clear in our minds isn't, as coaches, isn't always clear to our players. But the players, in my opinion, have to play fast and they can't be thinking. And so for me, just getting where it's day after day and, and our guys get tired of doing shell drill and they get tired of doing, you know, some of our half court defensive stuff. But when we play, they play fast because they know what to do. And, and I think as coaches, it's our job to put them in position where they're confident what they're doing. Um, they, they know our main concepts and then they can go out and do it. Coach, I'm going to have you clarify terms you use, gap under and gap through what that means just for people listening. Yep. So to me, a gap under, so that's more on a, on a down screen. So if I'm guarding, uh, you're setting a down screen for a shooter, we'll say, and the, and the ball's away, I'm going to leave space. I'm staying to the ball, leaving two to three uh, feet where, where the defender's going to go underneath the screen, the down screen. He's not going to trail the screener. He's going underneath. Now, if it's a poor screen, we do give our guys the freedom. If it's a bad screen and you can go through and deny, go through. But otherwise, we're big on, on gap. We always call it gap and through. So, and we make our guys, once you get through that screen, you're yelling through so your teammate knows you're there. And the hardest thing to teach is the guy not to be touching the screener, but to get off to the ball. Because most of the time we don't want them that close to their guy anyway. So we spend a lot of time on that. And then, um, you know, the other one, um, we'll go press and under on a ball screen. So if we have a big set in a ball screen, we tell our guys both hands up, get as close to him as skinny as you can. So the guy guarding the ball screen goes underneath both men. Okay. And so that way we're not getting hung up on a roll. Um, yeah. If we have a guard who playing a, a guard who doesn't shoot it real well, and that's hard for high school kids, in my opinion, to come off the dribble, pull up and shoot off the ball screen. So if that's the case, we, a lot of times we'll go under it, especially if it's a good big kid where we don't want them to roll and pin us. And now we're in a bad position or we overhelp and then they can make the toss um, for an easy layup. Yeah, it's funny how the defender always wants to get sucked right into that ball screen. I don't know why right. they want to run in there, but it seems to happen. <laughs> Yep, without a doubt. <laughs> um, well, Coach, kind of getting to the end of our time here today, um, is there anything else you'd like to share before, uh, before we go? I just appreciate you doing this and, and look forward to listening to the, the other podcasts and, you know, just a chance to talk basketball is such a great thing and just hopeful for each and every one of us we can coach our, our kids this year and our kids get to compete and, 
um, you know, would just recommend it to coaches if they're not involved in the Iowa Basketball Coaches Association, such a great resource. And, you know, now doing this for 19 years um, as a young coach, it was such a great thing to be a part of and still is, but just to pick in the brains and, and to be around um, some of the great coaches in our state. So just encourage coaches to get involved with the Iowa Basketball Coaches Association, get on that website, look at those things. And, you know, you can never learn enough. So these podcasts, I can't thank you enough for doing that. I'm excited to learn from other coaches as well. And I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Well, thanks one more time, coach, for coming on today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. As always, if you guys enjoyed the show, go ahead and try and give us a rating wherever you listen to the podcast at. I think it'll help boost us up and make us available for others to listen. And then please share with anybody who you think might be interested as well. Uh, Once again, thank you for joining us today.